Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, it's Fella once again to tell you all about Manscaped. I know you love hearing about this. Gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner and our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all father figures out there are looking daddy cool in their material this June. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here, this is no dad joke. Treat him and yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Terrace at www.manscaped.com. Trust me, as dad bods will thank you. As I've already told you about before, the Performance Package 4.0 has everything you could want, and I bet it's the same for your old man as well. If he uses the same razor on his face or his head or his body, then make sure that that unhygienic practice is no more with the Lawnmower 4.0, which is included in the pack. You've also got the Weed Whacker for ear and nasal hair, as we know that tends to accelerate as men get older, and there's all the other goodies to keep him feeling comfortable, smelling good, and feeling great about himself this Father's Day. Dads, buy this for yourself. Sons, buy this for you and your dad. Ladies, buy this for your brother, your dad, your son, anybody who you think deserves to be feeling fresh and clean this summer. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Terrace at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Terrace. Shake what your mama gave you? Nah, shake what your daddy gave you. And welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Craig Telfer, and on this occasion, I am joined by a man of science, numbers, and medicine, and Dr. Craig Anderson. Oh, I, I mean, I would not like to try and do any medicine with people, I'll tell you that much. So if I was choking in a restaurant, you'd be abs no use to me at all? I, um, no, not really. I could I could attempt to perform the Heimlich manoeuvre, but it's uh, that would that would be purely from, from watching it in TV shows. Um However, give you a quadratic equation, 
No bother. Yeah, min- minus four ABs. There's some equation. I can't even remember it now. I, I see that. See the problem with knowledge now is like, see, because you can just look stuff up. Now, what you just need to be good at is knowing where to look. You don't even need to remember anything. But, you imagine if, if uh, Wikipedia had been around in Plato's day, who knows what might have happened to Western civilization? Could it could have gone whole, a whole different direction? Well, very much like Scotland's performance against uh, Ukraine on Wednesday night, it went in a whole different direction, and that was a wrong direction, because of course Craig and I will be picking over the bones of that 3-1 defeat, which has effectively ended our hopes of qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar. Goals from Andre Yarmolenko and Roman Yaremchuk gave the visitors the lead, and although Callum McGregor pulled one back with 11 minutes to go, Artem Dovbeck netted with the final kick of the ball to give Ukraine a very deserved victory and it progresses them to the playoff final against Wales on Sunday. Craig, I, I think you, you're a bigger Scotland fan than me and to be honest, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just listen to your thoughts but my opinion on this was given what was at stake and given how well the team had been doing in the build-up to this I think this is perhaps one of the most disappointing performances and outcomes I can remember for some time. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and, and to be honest, it was so like it was so disjointed and it was so abject that there's been a lot of Scotland games that I've left where I've been absolutely furious. So um, the, the one that always brings to mind is the 2-2 draw with Czech Republic um, under Craig Levine when they, they scored the late penalty. Um, mm. the, the boy dived over over Danny Wilson. I was furious that day because Scotland had actually played well, deserved to win that game and didn't. Um, there's been other games where, where that's kind of been the case where I thought, you know what? We didn't get what we deserved there. We got exactly what we deserved last night. So see, yeah. it, was, it was a resignation um, rather than than fury, and it's kind of been the same today. And it's not. So I'm not even I'm not even annoyed in the way that I should be because I think I think it's one definitely in the top ten worst Scotland performances I've seen. Um, you know, not maybe not quite reaching the depths of like Kazakhstan and stuff like that, but I mean, not a million miles off it in terms of just nobody doing what they were supposed to do. No, not at all. I think that other than Craig Gordon, who was was excellent and really kept us in the match, particularly in the opening exchanges when he pulled off two phenomenal saves, there was no one for Scotland that that played well at all. You might want to give praise perhaps to Stuart Armstrong, uh, Ryan Christie, when they came on in the second half, they added a little bit of spark, but that's... That, that you're trying you're trying to pick up the crumbs of something that that, that that really wasn't there. And I think that to a man, everyone played poorly. You're looking at guys, the guys you'd really look up to in Scotland jerseys, guys like John McGinn, guys like Shea Adams, Lyndon Dykes, Andy Robertson. I know you can be quite critical of him playing for Scotland. He didn't play well. Aaron Hickey making his debut didn't play well. And then factor in on top of that, the formation, the tactics and the, the overall personnel didn't work for us. So it was a... It was a perfect storm of of just really poor stuff all in. Yeah, and 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 it's like you can probably get away with one or two people not playing well, but when you have ten, it's it's you're never going to win a game. And even when we went back to two one, that game was was there for the taking because yeah. Ukraine's legs had gone, and unsurprisingly, given like there's been guys that haven't played a game of competitive football in six months, like and and that game was still there, and and for a moment I thought we were going to you know probably not even take it to extra time I thought we were probably actually going to win this game undeservedly just just by running over the top of them and then it just stopped like their their manager made a couple of changes and we we just didn't we didn't we didn't have it 
I think I think that was something that I was really, really impressed by Ukraine was their game management. There was a period, obviously, after they, they got their, their second goal, I think it was a, the game ebbed and flowed, but then we really began to exert a bit of pressure on them. We we saw how poor the, the goalkeeper Bushan was. We'll come on and talk about him in more depth. I think he's perhaps the, the worst goalkeeper I've seen at international level. And I'm including the sort of duds that play for, for San Marino and Kazakhstan and Liechtenstein and so on. But we were coming back into that game and... But they, they were really, really good at just sucking the tension out of it. Just when you're trying to build up the head of steam, just when you're trying to think that you can you can take advantage of their their lack of fitness, they didn't allow us to do it. And I think that they got a lot of praise in the match, but Alexander Zinchenko was absolutely fabulous in that game. I mean, he plays, plays for Manchester City, won the Premier League title, plays on a, a, a semi-regular base for them. He was absolutely fantastic. And I thought Malinowski as well, the Atalanta player, the pair of them scheming away in the middle of the park, just didn't really have an answer to it. And the number of times that they were able to there was a huge gap that was forming between the midfield and the defence and the number of times they were able to get back, uh, get in behind us was was really, really alarming. But just in that, the, being able to suck the tension out of the game, they were they were superb at that. Yeah, and I think, for, I mean, because we're obviously going to focus on, on Scotland mostly and I think it's always something that people can be guilty of is focusing on your own team and therefore ignoring the fact that a lot of the faults of your own team can be down to the opposition simply not letting you do what you want to do. And and I think that that that's something that, that we'll touch on, but you you do have to take it in that context. Ukraine were very good last night, yeah. much better than I expected them to be much better than I would have expected them to be, even without everything going on. Because to be honest, I watched them at the Euros and, and I thought they were rotten. I know they got the quarterfinals, but I, I didn't see a single good performance from them. I thought they were yeah. really lucky to beat Sweden at Hamden. Um, the the last sixteen game. I think well, that's a team who are used to qualifying for tournaments. I was the same as yourself, Craig. I went into that game completely underestimating them. So I was like half looking through the team and saying, "Well, I, I know Zinchenko. We've got the boy Yarmolenko that 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 plays up front for them. Other than that, it's all domestic based players, isn't it? It's all guys that haven't been able to play because of Russia's invasion into into the country." And I thought that. You, you, we could have taken full advantage of that and it was just ignorance on my part ignorance on my part that there's a, a team who are used to qualifying for tournaments who might not necessarily be the most glitzy or sexiest or, or, or most attack minor teams but they really did a number on us and I do think the scoreline flatters them sorry beg your pardon I think the scoreline flatters us because I mean other than McGregor's chance McGregor's goal a couple of times the goalkeeper slapped it at John McGinn's header very, very rarely threatened. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing, we'll, we'll go on and talk about it. I, I think actually in that spell, despite not having good chances, we, we had plenty. Of, actually, I would say we had opportunities to score goals and there were, there were all those moments where in maybe in other games in this run, the, the run of the ball's gone for us and, and someone's taken a better touch. But like just things like Shea Adams in the wide area and I watched a video of him against Denmark and every single ball that came into his feet stuck with him. And yeah. literally not a thing stuck with him. And there was a ball that came over in the diagonal. Denmark, that, that ball gets trapped and he's one-on-one with a defender and, and has a chance to get a shot away. This time he takes a shit touch and it goes out for a goal kick. All of those little things that you need to go for, you didn't didn't go for. And that's not bad luck. That's players not playing well. It's, it's a totally different thing. But I, I I think so. If we touch on the, the, the one thing that I heard a lot of, which... Um, I can understand is about saying, you know, why did we, why were we just launching it to Dykes? I, I don't think that was a game plan. I don't think it was, 
let's just launch it to him. I think it was a combination of things, but our defenders, when we got the ball, first of all, we didn't have defenders who were comfortable on the ball, but then their midfield was swarming all over ours, so there wasn't a short pass on. There was never a short pass available. We'll talk, we'll talk about, about Hickey Robertson to some extent as well. It was like this. When they got the ball, they weren't brave on the ball, so they weren't trying to progress things forward. So then it comes back to Grant Hanley or Liam Cooper, and they've not got the ability to do anything else but mm-hmm. hit, hit dikes. And so I think it's stuff like that where people people assume that everything that you do is because that's what you wanted to do rather than ever thinking Ukraine stopped us from from getting the ball into the midfield, getting it into Billy Gilmore, getting it into McGregor and, and working through the way that 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 Denmark game, it was constantly going through the middle too. The, the second half against Israel, the two of them absolutely ran the show in that game. They weren't given the... They, they, they both played poorly, Gilmore in particular, who, who clearly wasn't fit. And yeah. they both played well in... Um, so they both played poorly, but they were also prevented from playing. And, and, and I think that's one thing... I think one thing that's slightly overlooked, and I think especially when you're watching on, on the television and you're not seeing... You know the the same picture that you maybe see where where you're at the game because you you know the the camera zooms in on the guy that's got the ball and you don't often you don't always see what's going on elsewhere and and yeah I think that was I mean we can talk about it I think it was a mistake to start because I said that before kick off I, I don't think we should have played that way but I don't think Steve Clark said right every time you get the ball just punt it in his direction I don't think he's he's ever he's ever said that to them but I think. There can be that tendency as well when you're a when you're a defender, you're getting pressed a bit, you can't find a pass, and you're like, right, well, I'm going to have to just do this. Um, but it's it's just it's just those wee examples of them, yeah, picking up on what we were good at, and unlike you know, and I think that's the difference between someone like Ukraine and some teams like Israel and Austria. They they might have known what they were good at, but they couldn't stop us doing it. But um, and and even Denmark, but I think we'll talk more about about the impact of Denmark game and, and maybe it being, yeah. you know, they they were st- they were they were absolutely not giving up on that game. Denmark, they were playing, but there's just a different psyche when there there wasn't a lot at stake for them, you know. So yeah, they. I mean, maybe it's unfair because it was the same as us. Like, what was at stake for them is they could have been number one seeds for the World Cup in the same way that what was at stake for us in that game was. Been well, getting this home game that was meant to be a you know, have been at Hamden was meant to be the big advantage, it, it didn't really turn out that way. Um, but I think there, there was something to be said for that, but also I think the stars aligned a bit for us that night, and that every single player was was on it in the complete opposite of what happened last night. But Ukraine were able to stop us doing what we wanted to do, and when a team stops you doing what you want to do, that's when you can realize that we are still a team who has that fragility I think who still has you know I, I think you, you've mentioned a few times the podcast when when we talked about Scotland v Russia which I think was in the deer under Steve Clark the game at Hamden that you and I went to together um, where Scotland were, were absolutely hopeless and it was a really gutless performance as well it was like there was no bravery and everything the, as soon as as soon as something went wrong the heads went down and everyone just kind of um, collapsed a bit there was still a there's still a bit of that in us. I think there's, there's not the same extent of it, and you saw that because again we we did pull ourselves back into that game last night through sheer will and through sheer chaos, apart from anything. But there's still an element of that in us, and I think 
what you see is that when you can impose yourself on the game, that, that's been the difference through that qualifying campaign. We imposed ourselves on mm-hmm. a lot of games and won games by doing what we were good at and not letting the opponents do what they were good at. But sometimes that's not going to happen and we need to become better at, you know, just weathering a storm, finding a different way, finding some, you know, finding a way to just get through that first half unscathed because... They, we, we knew they were going to tire and it did feel a little bit like almost not our game plan, but there was almost something in the mentality of like, right, we just need to, we just need to see this out. And you can understand like we need to see out the first 10 minutes because they're going to come out absolutely buzzing and flying, but you can't just see out an hour of a game and then think that like, they're going to be tired and, you know, rope a dope and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think there was an element of that as well, but I, I did have that feel to it. Like we, we got knocked off our stride a wee bit. The injuries would have done that as well, and we didn't have an answer. And and that's that's a worry, I would say. There are so many aspects to unpick because of the, the magnitude of this game, and 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 I think it's we'll go all the way back to the start, Craig. What were your feelings like in the build up to? The game was supposed to be played in mid March, which I mean, hindsight is an easy thing to say, but that would have been the most opportune time for us to face that game because you've had Kieran Tierney fully fit, you have had Billy Gilmer fully fit. Your your key components here, you're going in there with your very strongest eleven, and then with the Russian invasions, uh, Russian invasion into Ukraine, the game was 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 quite rightly postponed. What do you think? What do you make of the build-up to the, to the game? Then, do, do you think that the perhaps ongoing conflict overshadowed the game or, or created it in a in a, a, a very different light? Would, would that have affected the players at all? It, it de- I don't know how much it would have affected the players or not, but it definitely did feel different to me in terms of like I I think had this game been in March, I would have been buzzing for it for yeah. you know, weeks and weeks, and, and it was almost like a bit of a. Like, like it's a busy time in the football season anyway, right? And there's lots going on. And I mean, like, I had my team winning the league and all these things that are, you know, in your head because that's the, the business end. And then as well as that, yeah, there was just something hanging over the game where it's like you're not as... The, yeah, the narrative around it's totally different. There's all this, you know, different chat about what, what the game means and understanding that, that it, I mean, it fundamentally did and has to mean more to their players than it did to ours. And, and I don't think anyone can dispute that would be the case. And I don't think that's, I don't think it's unfair. I don't think that's a slight on our players to say that, like that the, they're not ultimately defending their homeland on the world stage. Like, you know what I mean? They're, 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 there's no doubt in my eyes that our players all wanted to qualify for the World Cup. Of course, that you saw they were absolutely gutted at full time. Mm-hmm. Like you could see that. But at the same time, there is that element. And I, I do think it, it played into the, the, the build up to the game it was um, it was flat. The atmosphere was flat. Like after the first ten minutes, when it was like it was raucous. Aye, that's uh, something. I'm, I'm glad you've picked up on that. That because that's certainly something that I've noticed as well. I've been lucky enough to, to to go to the last couple of Scotland games, and sincerely, the games against Israel and the games against Denmark, they're two of the best games I've ever been to. I mean, the Israel game, it was loud. You could feel it. You could you could you could feel it in in your chest. You could feel it all through your body. And I don't know if it was because it was a like effectively like a summer evening gig. It was yeah. like the last time I'd been to Hamden and that kind of atmosphere was a Bruce Springsteen concert. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it just didn't feel quite right. Obviously, there was the pomp and the the, the ceremony and the flag waving in the, the North Stand prior to the match. And coming, I was sitting in the South Stand, coming out for that and seeing that, you're like, my goodness, that looks amazing. That looks absolutely amazing to see. But very quickly after kickoff, 
it did it did feel flat and, and it, it felt very very different to those games and I just I'm not sure if it was because as you say that as fans you were a wee bit knackered with football you know you, we've we've had the Scottish Cup we've had the Champions League and suddenly you're coming to this that this big game that 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 everyone had been looking forward to like sort of 10 weeks previously it just didn't feel quite different. And the fans, I mean, obviously it's a two-way street where, where you're seeing the, the players on the pitch have to do things that, that the fans react to. But you only really got the sort of the, the chanting midway through the second half. I think a lot of the stuff seemed quite half-hearted but through the first half. And it wasn't until the second half when Scotland were beginning to come back into the game that the fans were, were getting behind it. I think there's something to be said about, you You mentioned about, you know, the, the Springsteen concert and the, the fact it was daylight, like it was daylight until full time. I do think floodlights and that builds, you know, darkness, floodlights does build mm. more of an atmosphere. I think I love going to midweek games. I don't understand people who moan about midweek games and stuff. Like I love going to a midweek game because it, 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 the atmosphere is, is definitely very different in that circumstance. And that... That absolutely, again, it's not the reason Scotland lost the game, but it's just these little things that all can be a contributory factor, I would say, and that's kind of part of part of the whole issue of like it doesn't, it, it it's not one thing, but if there's ten little things and they all make a small contribution, it can suddenly start to not be, um, not be what you kind of you know you just start to feel like oh everything's not quite working for us, and and it can it can seep through into a game well we'll talk about the injuries then Craig and this is something that I'd like you to explain to me because we know that Scotland worked best in a 3-4-3 3-1-2 basically a back three that's purely designed to accommodate having Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney in the same team two world class players who play in the same position and we've settled on this formation and it allows Kieran Tierney to underlap and it really gives us something different when he's not available, why does the system not work? Well, I think I think the, the main thing is we've not had a left a player on the left because because the way the system the way the system set up right you you've got your players kind of spread across the whole park and that's what I think it's all about. You're you're dominating every you've got a man in every area of the park. It's like if you draw a big picture of the park and you imagine imagine trying to create the maximum spread of all your players like so that there's there's someone close to every bit of grass, you know, like think about it. I think the three, four, three systems the way that you do that because everyone's like, and, and there's like lots of different lines to the system and it's all very mm-hmm. geometric and go out Jonathan Wilson about that. But <laughs> what happens is if you don't have like a left-sided centre half who can run with the ball or who can do anything with the ball, you end up, you end up just looking really bad. And, and Liam Cooper, I don't mind as a player. I think he, I thought he was really good um, when Grant Hanley was out in the the November game, early mm-hmm. November, yeah, um, and playing centre half in the middle of the back three. But it's such a different role. It's not like when you play a back four and the two centre halves are basically doing the same thing. When you play that system, the the wide two centre backs, their their job is so totally different that if you don't you're and that's it you're never going to replace Kieran Tierney so you're not going to get another Kieran Tierney I think I think um, Tony and, and Tom were, were pointing out there's probably only like a dozen players in world football who can do what Kieran Tierney does in terms of being between those two positions but you don't need to directly replace him you just need someone who's a bit more comfortable on the ball and dare I say even Scott McKenna would have been more 
able to do that. He, he plays in that system for, for Nottingham Forest. The problem with him is you, you saw Robertson tiring a wee bit after a long season. Scott McKenna played on Sunday. Like It's, it's mm. such a short turnaround, a massive game on Sunday at Wembley. I don't know if that played into the thinking, but and McKenna's not perfect for it, but I just think he's got a wee bit more football in him than, than Cooper did. I, mm-hmm. I thought Cooper, exactly like the Czech Republic game at Hamden, the Euros, Cooper just isn't good enough on the ball. You see him like having to constantly turn around. And what that does is, if Tierney's there, Robertson doesn't even look back at Tierney. Robertson just makes the run. But when Cooper's there, it's almost like Robertson and McGregor and Gilmore and the rest are having to almost be like, babysit him, do you know what I mean? Like, are you all right? Can I, do you need me to take the ball off you kind of thing? Which, mm-hmm. when it's Tierney, you don't need to worry about that because he's, I mean, if you were to say to me, which Scotland player would you least want to be injured for a big game? It's absolutely Kieran Tierney. Um, 100%, he's a sort of player. I mean, he's obviously a fabulous player, but it's the... The, the mentality, the gallus, I know it's a total Scottish word to use, but the gallusness of him. And I think that if you remember the Czech Republic game back last summer, on the morning of that match, finding out that he was missing, you are absolutely right in what you say. If you had to pick one player that you did not want to miss that game, it was him. But I suppose, Craig, the question then I'd, I'd like to ask to, 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 to follow up, if, if we don't have Kieran Tierney, the system doesn't work as well. Do we need to have a plan B in place? That's something that I've been quite critical of Steve Clark about. It seems to be a one-size-fits-all approach with the back three. And when it works great when Kieran Tierney's there. When he's not there, it doesn't work so well. Do we need I, to do something different? So, so per- personally, I don't have a problem with the back three. And I, I've never been a fan of a back three like that. Club level, I don't think I can really ever remember Kelly playing it. We maybe had one season under Bobby Williamson in like 2000, but it's the only time I can really remember playing a back three. Um, we had Jesus Garcia San Juan as a sweeper, so talking of Scott McTominay dropping into dropping into um, as a <laughs> midfielder dropping into defence, but um, but so it's not never a system I've been a big fan of, but it has worked for Scotland. It's not just been about you know, getting Tierney and Robertson a team. That that was ultimately one of the reasons it happened, but I think it's got the best out of John McGinn, mostly, again, he was rotten last night. It's got the best out of the wing-backs. It covered originally when it came in, it covered for the fact that we had shit centre-backs who couldn't play the ball. Yeah. So, again, that Russia game you're talking about, it It was, um, I think it was McKenna and... Um, happened with McKenna... Can't even remember who plays it. Mulgrew, maybe. And Mulgrew can play, and it's the only reason he was kind of hanging about Scotland for so long. But then any other centre back you had, they really struggled on the ball, and it meant you couldn't get it into midfield. The same stuff we talked about. Going to three and using McTominay as one of those three initially worked because you suddenly had players that were comfortable on the ball. You didn't, you weren't playing games with 30% possession because you couldn't keep the ball. You were dominating possession. Mm-hmm. It got the best out of the wing backs because again, Someone like O'Donnell, who at the time was what you had, defensively was found out at international level, but he's incredibly fit and so could get up and down the flank. Um, Patterson has continued that because Patterson is not very good defensively, but is incredibly athletic, incredibly direct and almost plays like a winger at fullback. And I think on top of that as well is his mindset as well. It's brilliant. Yeah, who, who was it against? Was it against Israel or against Denmark? But he started off very poorly, giving the ball away. But then as the game went on, grew. It was, really it was Israel. The game and if it, it was Israel. And, but he's, he's got a lot of personality as, yeah. as well, uh, Nathan Patterson. 
and and that that's got the best out of those players as well. So I don't think it's as easy as saying, "Oh no, why don't we just go to a back four? The, the other reason it's a problem is like you know at club level, the manager's got the whole time to play with the players. He can't just work on a back four. So when you build a system, you need games to to make it. You know, right in Scotland, don't don't play friendlies like. Mm-hmm. I think since Steve Clark took over the friendlies, he's had four friendlies now, two of which were the pre-Euros friendlies where you're obviously getting your team ready for a major tournament. You're not going to suddenly experiment with a back four in those. And the other two were those, you know, the Poland and Austria games. And, yeah. and he wanted that Poland game is there's a dress rehearsal for Ukraine, right? It's a game that the Ukraine game should have been where we absolutely blasted them. And if we played anything like that last night, it would have been a different story. Austria game, yeah, he could have played a back four then, but I think because of the disappointment of the Poland game, he's like, right, we, we want to go out and win a game. Again, we didn't, it was another draw, but that aspect to me, it's so difficult to find games to play a back four in. And yet maybe you, you could talk about, um, and he did start off with a back four, right, and it didn't work. That's not to say it wouldn't work now because it's different players. But I think what he needs to understand is the evolution of the rest of the system and that's been part of the reason for the success so when he started with the back three he tended to be playing the two strikers so we played um, the Israel game the playoff game McBurney and Dyke started together did not work at all mm-hmm. um, we can go to all the Euros games apart from England the other two Euros games um, the second half against the Czech Republic I actually thought in the first half against the Czech Republic we played alright we went in one nil down and he put on Adams I think at half time and went to the front two didn't think we were great second half and that f- continued the Croatia game then you go to the Moldova game at home and the Israel game at home and all those cases the front two just didn't work most of the time then we stumbled just by Dykes being suspended and I, th- I think a lot of the criticism Lyndon Dykes gets is ridiculous to be quite honest because oh, yeah. he's been a, he was a, he was a big part of Scotland's turnaround in terms of his attitude in terms oh. of desire in terms of and he, again you forget that qualifying game he scored in like five consecutive four or five consecutive games mm-hmm. in that campaign mm-hmm. and then was out injured nonetheless having said that when he got I think he got suspended and then he missed the other game through injury or whatever it was we stumbled across something with Adams as a lone striker and, and two players coming off him that was far better that worked really well for the players we had and, and it was really disappointing I was really surprised that the first time it went back to that. I could have understood that type of approach in, in a in a final against Wales if we got there because there's maybe a more British style of football in a bit of a different game. But last night we needed what we did against Denmark and, and yeah, that was the biggest problem for me with the system. Mm-hmm. So I, I am still generally not saying, I don't think we should try and go back to a back four because I think we're, there's still a lot to offer in the three. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because we're actually now kind of running short of good central midfielders so to put an extra body in there if Ryan Jack was fit fair enough but after course, that yeah. like, having seen what Gilmore was like last night I actually think Jack might have started the game instead of him if he'd been around that's um, something I couldn't understand I saw on on the I think it was a daily record tweet when they announced that Ryan Jack wouldn't would make the game a lot of but mostly Celtic supporters will be honest with Celtic supporters were, were, were replying to say well we don't need him anyway and it's I, I cannot understand. I think Ryan Jack's an excellent player. You know, he, he played, uh, he was excellent against Frankfurt, scored a really good goal in the Scottish Cup final. And he's I mean, he's not on the same level as Billy Gilmore, 
But in terms of doing the same kind of thing and having that sort of rapport with Callum McGregor in the middle of the park, he's the next best thing you can get. And I absolutely agree with you. I think that and then with you- Billy Gilmore really toiling. And you so that was another thing with, with Gilmore. One of the things that I like most about Billy Gilmore is his ability to offer himself to drop deep and to come looking for the ball, to always be an option, regardless of what's going on. He will take the ball. doesn't matter if it's short, long, he can take the ball off you. And because he wasn't fit, he barely left the centre circle. And that ties back into what you're saying about guys like Grant Hadley and Liam Cooper just having to huff it long all the time because those options weren't there for him. And, and, and that's the thing. Even talk about Ryan Jack, even Kenny McLean, and not not everyone's his biggest fan, but Kenny McLean has generally done all right for Scotland. He was missing. So you're then looking at if you don't have um if you don't if if say Gilmore was 80% fit or 70% fit and you didn't want to risk him, you're then looking at well, where are you going to play Scott McTominay in there? I, I don't think in a midfield two he works. I think he was good um, when he played kind of deeper than that and kind of running, you know, running from deep. But I thought when we changed to the four, he was really good actually um last night. Before that, centre-back, not so much. Um, or you're like playing like Lewis Ferguson or Alan Campbell. And these guys, to be frank, are not at that level. Um, I really like Ferguson. He could be, but at the moment, no. Um, so that was a that was a big issue that, that was faced there. And that's what happens when these injuries stack up. But even when it's guys who aren't first-pick first players necessarily, it's still, it just all adds up. And, and yeah, I think that's a contributor. But I think that's another reason why you don't want to move to a system as three in the middle because we could barely pull together two last night. Talk about Andy Robertson. Craig. He Prior to the match, he came under a lot of criticism because he was photographed on the, the uh, Liverpool's, I would say, title celebrations. It wasn't. It was their, their uh, runners-up celebrations. Uh, picture with a bottle of lager. And he came under a bit of criticism that personally, I didn't see anything wrong with that. And I'd been told prior to the match that he used the criticism. He was annoyed at the level of criticism that he received. And he was using that to spur him on in that game. It didn't work, obviously. And it was one of Robertson's poorest performances for, for Scotland. I mean, we can, I mean, we can, everyone played poorly other, really other than Craig Gordon. But what do you make of the captain? I, I thought he was very poor in this game. I, I think you and I are probably about, about the two biggest Andy Robertson fans that, that there are on the terrace. Like I think I think he's fantastic as a player and I think a lot of the criticism, even ignoring this, that he's had as a Scotland player has been, been fairly ridiculous, to be honest, because I think over the last year, he's consistently been very good for Scotland. We, we talked about the Israel game, set up two goals in that game was a constant menace down the left-hand side. Finally got the better of Dasa, the his nemesis from uh, from that. It was it was like the it was like the reckoning had finally come. Um and I think he's had a really good year for Scotland. I thought at the Euros he actually was one of our better players. Some people disagreed and if he'd been able to finish it might have been a different story in, in some of the games because his shooting was, was really bad. But Last night he looked leggy. I don't think that's related to him having a beer. I think it's yeah. related to him playing about 60 games in the last year. I think and- on, t- on top of that as well, Craig, he described after the match, he described the past week as like one of the worst of, in fact, not one of the worst in his career. Because you've got to think if you, you miss out on the, you, I mean, Liverpool are a fantastic side. You miss out on the Premier League title by a point on the final day of the season. You lose in the Champions League final. 
and then you you know you your your country are, are within touching distance of getting it to the World Cup and and you don't make it. That's got to weigh heavy on you. And obviously, you are at the top of the game because it's not just of your, your ability as a football player, but your mentality as well. But even so, even so, you must be like, fuck me, I need a holiday. Yeah, and, and well, he's not, he's probably not got one. Scotland got enough three games before uh, <laughs> he won't play in them all. But I, 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 so I think I thought he was, I thought he was very bad last night. Um, defensively in particular like I think you can pinpoint them for for at least a couple of goals I mean the third goal I don't yeah. care about because the third goal I don't I don't understand people who criticise defending in the, in the 94th minute when you're chasing a game you've just got to try and win the ball back and if that leaves you out of position and all that so be it um, but the first goal in particular he, he he makes the wrong decision to try and step up and, and it's yeah it's, it's bad defending and he, and he didn't have the energy that he normally has Um I I do think he's the right captain. I don't understand that, to be honest, no. either, because I, I I don't know if other people are looking at someone different, but I see a leader on the park when he plays, usually, again, in terms of barging up and down the flank and trying to spur people on. And, you know, even even the little stuff that people find stupid and insignificant, when the ball goes out for a throw-in and you're getting beat, sprinting over to get the ball back and trying to take a quick throw-in and all those little things that are just setting the tempo for the team, I, I think I think on, on top of that as well, Craig. Uh, it's like the captain. We you know we see what's happening on the football pitch, but the captain, his players' relationship with other players, how they look up to him, all these intangible things that we as fans don't necessarily see. So I think just because he, he, uh, he didn't have a game last night, like again, people question whether or not he's a Scotland captain. Far and away, I think he's a fantastic ambassador for for the country. He, he's a great talker uh, and someone I think that a, a great role model as well. And I think he is of the. I mean, why seen uh, the players we've got on that team? He's by far the best place player to do it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, and, and I think there's probably a, a kind of tall poppy syndrome thing, isn't it? Of like it's a, na- a national psyche of when someone's at their best, you're trying to, you know, you try to knock them down and all that. But yeah, I, I, I don't think you can defend the performance, but be, but that's just, I mean, players have shit games sometimes, and 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 sadly we had ten who did that um, last night. Well, let's we talk through, about the game. Oh. Yeah, so if we go through the rest of the team. I've already talked about Cooper Grant Hanley being very good for Scotland recently had a really bad game as well. Yeah. He was that he was not a great centre half, and he was an even worse centre forward. Um, that that we can talk about. That's that would have been border. Like this is one of the problems, right? Again, as I said, we should have started with a three. If we started with the three, then when it got to sixty minutes, if we were two 0 down, then you need to need to ruffle, ruffle some feathers. Lyndon Dykes comes on, and he's like, it's like the WWE when the guy storms down the you know storms down the ramp to like come <laughs> in his, his, his honours like you know, like and he's just you know throwing punches left right and centre and people are just flying over the ropes. That's what Lyndon Dykes could have done had he been op- an option as a sub. But even after that, you've got I I don't personally think the Scotland players. I think well, I mean. I know absolutely nothing about. Um, I keep wanting to call him Jason Brown. It's not his name. Um, Jacob Brown. Jacob Brown. Um, I know absolutely nothing about him. He's probably all right, but the fact that Steve Clark's brought him in, had a look at him, and barely given him a minute of football tells me he's probably not that good. Um, but you've got him and you've got Ross Stewart, who are two forwards. Two forwards who are in good form. Stewart, in particular, you talked about yeah. with Robertson. You know, being down in his confidence. Stewart's the opposite. He's absolutely flying. He scored at Wembley. Um, you know, in a, in a big game. So, yes, it would have been his Scotland debut, but it would have been 
you know, absolutely fine. He's an actual forward, and maybe if a ball falls to him, you know, he'll he'll poke it into the net. Finishing's not his strength, to be honest, even as a player. I, I've never thought, but nonetheless, you've got subs to use. Why is Grant Hanley playing centre forward when when you've got two two decent enough forwards on the bench? A player, Craig, one of the players I wanted to, to focus on, there's, there's two There's two more to talk about, I think, and uh, that we can look at individually. The first is John McGinn, who's been such an important player for Scotland over the last couple of couple of months, years or so. Very, very popular player. He can understand beloved, you know, his, his personality. Again, we're using that word again, personality infection, really seems to embody all the good stuff about Steve Clark's Scotland team. It's the worst I've seen him playing for Scotland yeah, last night and he missed a fabulous chance to, to bring us back into the game earlier in the match. Yeah, so I, I meant to say this at the start, but I have very intentionally not watched any of this again. I know that you watched some highlights back and stuff, um, but partly I wanted, partly I don't want to watch this ever again. It's like the Italy game from 2005 or whenever, I've still never watched highlights of it. Um, so partly that, but also I thought I want my feelings from being at the game to come across, not like, some super analytical thing but anyway yeah the miss from where I was sitting looked like one of the worst the ball bounces up to him and all he needs to do is just header it with power at the goal there's nobody there and 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 it's like he's trying to be cute he's trying to place it but you're like four yards out John yeah, exactly. I get particularly against the worst goalkeeper we've ever seen at international level, um, and it's all all the stuff. I mean, he was doing. He did some good stuff as well, like he usually does. Is able to carry a team up the park, protect the ball well, using that big caboose of his. But just it, it just didn't come off, and it just again, but it didn't come off for anyone. The I other player I- to focus on is Aaron Hickey, who made his debut at uh, right wing back. I think he, he struggled a wee bit. I think he, I think personally, I thought it was the right call to put him in because given how well he'd done at Bologna and I think that Stephen O'Donnell is perhaps coming to the end of his cycle as a, as a Scotland player, regardless of how useful he's been in the past. Right call, but I thought he struggled and perhaps should have been removed at the interval alongside Dykes and O'Donnell come on instead. Yeah, yeah. so my, my thoughts are really similar. I had a... I had a bit of a, an argument with people in about January time when they were saying that um, Hickey should be Scotland's wing-back, you know, he should be in the squad instead of O'Donnell and all that stuff. So, like, no chance he's not played right wing-back because they kept saying, oh, he's played it for his club, he's two-footed. Is he fucked two-footed, by the way? Because, no, I, I mean, one-footed if that. Um, but the at the time... I was like, no, he hasn't played it for his club because I've actually, like, I it, it may not come across, I'm actually a really big fan. Like, I've watched a lot of him in Serie A. I think he's been fantastic in Serie A, but he's been fantastic playing as a left wing back and he's been fantastic playing as a left wing back in a Bologna team where, to be honest, as a left wing back, he has spent 70% of the game in the final third. Like, that's where he's parked. Like, he's, he's literally a creative, and, and I think as a technical footballer, in that type of position, he's superb. He's really, really good. I've not seen Scottish player with that level of kind of technical ability in a long time. But what people were saying was, oh, he's played right wing back. And I was like, he played twice right wing back at that point for um, for Bologna. One of the games he had been hooked at half time, and the other game it, it, it got an absolute doing. Um, since then. In the second half of the season, he played quite a few games on that side. Um, I think mainly, uh, I think it's Lorenzo Di Silvestri, who's kind of, I think, an Italy international, who's normally the right wing back. He'd been either out or out of form or something. But anyway, Hickey had been playing over there. 
and he started to do a bit better. And, you know, he's been playing against like Juventus, AC Milan stuff, you know, big teams. It's not like, you know, he's not playing in Belgium. If it was like Jack Hendry, you know, he's doing all right in Belgium. It's like, this is one of the best leagues they're about. So I also didn't have an issue with him starting this game at right wing back. Especially O'Donnell had been out. He'd maybe only been back a couple of games for Motherwell. wasn't his peak fitness. Patterson obviously didn't make the game. I think Anthony Ralston is rubbish. I don't think that having a purple patch for a, a month or two with Celtic and then not being terrible after that actually makes him a good player. And and I think I think he'll I think he'll go back to what he, he actually is next season. But nonetheless, I think he was the right choice. I didn't have a problem with the the selection. I, I thought it was a risk. Like I, I would say it's a risk, but. He took a risk on Patterson um, in the, the Moldova game, was it, where he first played? And it, it paid off, essentially. He took a risk on Gilmore against England, and it, it paid off a million yes, times. Because Gil, Gilmore, since Gilmore made his debut, he's been the best Scotland player by a distance, um, apart from last night. Um, he was taking a gamble. I didn't mind the gamble, but but my goodness, did it not pay off. I, I Other people disagreed with me, mainly Hearts fans, I would have to say. I thought he was by a distance the worst player on the park last night. And I thought the biggest problem I had with him was the the mentality, the attitude that he had, which was early on, you're making your you're making your first start for Scotland and he did a couple of sub appearances and, and friendlies before that. You're playing in a position you've played a little bit. You're going to make mistakes, right? And he did make a couple of mistakes. I think he got caught in the ball once and he had a time where he tried to play a ball in, in, in field and, and gave it away. But the head went down straight away and you could not, you talked about Patterson, you could not con- contrast that more with Patterson. When Patterson made these mistakes, he just kept going and he kept going and, he, and by sheer will, he became important in the game. It was the opposite of like As soon as that happened, he hid away. When he got the ball, he just wanted rid of it as soon as he could. He... I saw one thing Craig, chasing you said back. About him. Sorry, Craig, on you go. No, he wasn't chasing back. He wasn't doing mm. his defensive duty. So again, I was talking about in Bologna. He's he's having to play. He's playing like fifty yards up the park, and he maybe doesn't have to always do the defending. He's got a proper centre half playing behind him, which he didn't have last night. He's got McTominay, who is not a centre half. There's reasons, and I think there's been. I think just to go that McTominay centre half. I think we can probably call a day on now because we now have better centre-halves who are actually all right, like Suter and Hendry have developed in that period to be competent in the way that we, we didn't have them when he came in the team. I think, I think with, with McTominay as well, that's something, the criticism about him being a centre-half, he always seems to get caught under the ball when defending corners and free kicks. Yeah. And you saw that for the second goal. I mean, that was a, I mean we'll, we'll come on and talk about break, break the match down. We're, we're really taking a, a deep dive, an, an anatomical dive into, into this match. But that's something that he does. Him and Hickey getting a bit of a fan call and allowed um, yeah, Yarmachuk to, to get the leap in them for a, for a very straightforward header right. right at the start of the second half. But that's something I've always found about him. He's... He's not quite aggressive enough to like attacking the ball in the air. I I, I think that's that's what, what holds him back. You talk about Shoehorn and like dealing team. He's wanted Scott McTominay to be on the team, and I can see why because Scott McTominay talk about mentality. His mentality is the, one of the best I've ever seen from a football player. I think as a driving force for a team. You talk about who a captain is. If if it's not Robertson, it's him. Like in terms of what he does, because when you're all losing, he is the guy who is running with the ball. He's trying to make things happen. His pass, see when he got the ball in, in this that last 20 minutes, 
firing passes straight into the feet of yeah. um, you know the forwards, everything that you wanted a player to do. I think it was him who um, went up. It was went up with the goalkeeper, won the ball in the lead up to the to the goal from McGregor. Um, so, I, so I think like you can see why he wants him in the team. The same thing happened against um, the Pharaohs in the away game when we were chasing that game. And in the last 10 minutes, it was the McTominay show and finally we got the goal. But he's not good enough as a centre. He's not good enough in his actual position at the moment. The position that I think he would be best in is where John McGinn plays, to be honest. I think he would have a similar impact. So there's a, there's a big issue there. But to go back to Hickey, the problem he had was he wasn't doing the defending as an attacking force. He grew into it a bit because he was kind of getting into the final third and putting some crosses in. A lot of floaty shit because he was kind of coming back on his left foot yeah. I don't mind that I mean that ball can work sometimes but I just thought he he looked and he's 19 so it's it's maybe not a surprise because not everyone can do it at 19 but he looked out of his depth big time and the problem I have with him is he has obviously backed himself to be to be a right wing back for Scotland because he's refused under 21 call-ups and it's been pretty clear the reason he's done that is because he thinks he should be in the full squad You've got Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney, possibly Greg Taylor ahead of you in your own position at the moment. Um, so you can only possibly think that if you should be in the team, it can be as a right wing back because he, he thinks he can play there and he has played there for his club. So when you are backing yourself that much, when you are, it's, an, it's arrogance, I'll call it arrogance. Some people would disagree when you're confident, whatever you want to say. And you're making a big thing of it to then turn up and, and be so weak in the game to not give an account of yourself. I think I think is really questionable, and I think I think he's being badly advised. I will put it that way. He's, he's still a young boy. Um, I think there's people in his ear, and I think I was very surprised that Steve Clark called him into the squad. I genuinely thought Clark would be like, oh, "I'm not, you know, going to play for under twenty ones. Prove yourself." And then once you've done that. Because I think it's it's a little bit about attitude and, and, and what Clark's done's built this this squad, this group of players who have had the right attitude and have worked hard to get to where they are. And you've seen you talk we talked about Robertson earlier. Robertson had about five caps for Scotland and then went and played for the under 21s because the, the first team didn't have a game. That kind of thing is what you want from your players. You want them to want to play. And you know, it's and and maybe that experience would have helped him in the sense of just being, you know, it's fine when you're in Bologna and you work with them every week and you're kind of built into that system. But see, being thrown in fish out of water to be asked, you're, you're because Scott Game was a fucking idiot um, as well. He, he'd probably been picked as like a centre forward with like some dumpling from Bolton Wanderers reserves behind him or something like that. That's character building. And, and maybe that would have helped. I don't know, but it's, it, it just really reflected Bali. And it's, as I said, it's a, it's a player who I've, I've ra- I have raved about. And I think people will see that. Like, I think as a technical player, he's so good. And I think he will have a fantastic career. But he needs, you need to show up. Isn't, and again, I was talking about Clark indulging him. I think Clark indulged him because um, he thinks he's that good. And I can understand that. But what he showed last night was that he might have the ability, but He's, he's maybe not got the bullshit and and now that sounds like you know old man talking but you mm-hmm. do need to have you do need to have the the confidence and bravery on the ball which we we lacked and it wasn't just him that lacked it like let's be honest but 
in particular that stood out? No, it's a word that we've picked up a lot on. We've picked up, we've used a lot over the past half hour is is personality and and that I I I was disappointed in him because I think that if you make the decision to you could have easily gone back to Celtic when, when they were interested in him, but you choose no you go out to the continent to me that seems a guy who's who's like confident in his own ability and someone who wants to go and learn and try himself on a different Wait, he turned he turned down Bayern Munich because they didn't want to give him they weren't going to give him first team football and he, and he went to Bologna instead and you thought, oh, surely you're not going to get first team football at Bologna but he did, he was more or less straight in the team and you're like, right, fair play, you're you're ploughing your own path and that's great and and I, don't, I think it was great that he's done that but yeah, it's, there's a fine line, isn't there? I don't want to sound, remember a few years ago, Ian Wright, this is before he became like good he wrote an article, I think it might have been for the Sun, saying that anyone who refused an England call-up should go and explain themselves to the parents of uh, soldiers who were killed in Afghanistan, which is a, a, a remarkable, remarkable take. And obviously, I don't want to sound like an absolute like raven, like your da, but I, I do think I can't quite understand that why you wouldn't want to be part of the international setup, prove yourself, go and test into the environment what it's like to be part of international, like sample international football, even if it's on a smaller scale with the under-19s or the under-21s, see what it's like. And just so you know what, what it's like going into it for the, for the, the big game. And you know something? It's like if, if he'd done well last night in Scotland won these things don't become an issue. That's the thing. These things don't become an issue. He does well. He sets up a goal. People are like, fantastic. Vindicated. We found, we've got a player there, the, the long-term successor to Stephen O'Donnell. We can face him at the team. Patterson, Hickey, they're the, they're the future. We were, we're good on, on either flank. But no, it becomes an issue because he, he, he didn't play well last night and didn't really show the, show the cojones I think that perhaps me and a lot of others expected from him. Yeah, I, I think I, he's probably been harshly treated because he's been compared again to, to Patterson and to a lesser extent O'Donnell because I think the strength of character O'Donnell showed in terms of like, he was a whipping boy after that Czech Republic game, quite unfairly I would say, but you could understand it because as an attacking force in that game, although he was trying, he was found wanting. And then he turned up and he, he, he had the game of his life against England. I mean, I've seen most of his career, right? I've seen, and, and, I, and I, I love him. He's a brilliant player, but and I think really underrated. But nonetheless, he's had a shit season for Motherwell. But nonetheless, he um, his mentality is really strong. Patterson's mentality is incredible. And then you've got this this guy who turns up and, and it just it just in comparison, it wasn't there. I I thought he was going to put O'Donnell on for him at halftime. Mm-hmm. I, I reckon we talked about Patterson. I think that was exactly the reason he didn't actually, because he was like, well, he would have thought, you know what, Nathan Patterson had a first half like that against Israel, and he came back and he and he, he was brilliant in the second half. And instead, what you got was was worse. Well, not worse. It was just the same. Um, and then and then he was playing right back in a back four, which was even worse when when we changed as well. You know, where at least O'Donnell's done that. Um, and and. He was willing to put Jack Hendry on. Again, I think Jack Hendry was good when he came on for the same reason that unlike Cooper, he can progress the ball. You should have thought the same on, on the right-hand side, personally. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to... I'm just re- reeling off the things I want to talk about. You, you, <laughs> talked, about, you talked about decision-making from the players. I think there was an element of... like Scotland are going to have spent a lot of time planning for this game, preparing for this game. And we've actually had months to prepare because I'm sure in the in the March training camp, Clark would have been doing a lot of prep for this game, um, you know, coming up, expecting it to go ahead and all that. Um, 
And I think what we saw is sometimes players who were so focused, fixated on the plan that when things went differently, they weren't able to change it up. So you talked about the mm. goalkeeper. You talked about the goalkeeper being flappy and, mm. and generally very poor. But we consist- consistently were just playing this the training ground set pieces that we're working on. Oh man, Craig, that's oh. something there was one, there was one set piece in particular. It looked like they it was obviously deliberate, but they faked like they faked they were going to take it and and then they just took it, got passed along to the sort of box and, and flipped him with the idea of I think it must have been Hanley heading it back across. Yeah. That's something just just I, I, I see like corners where it's like played deep and has to be headed back in. I hate them because it's almost but, like there's two things that need to go right rather than just the one. But the, but the I think thing when is, you saw, sorry, but I think when you saw that goalkeeper, like it must have been about with half an hour to go. I think when McGregor, that's it. When McGregor chased him down and he miscontrolled the pass and McGregor chased him down the bottom. That's the point. You think just dump dump things on top of his head. If try if you're if you're strong, play for set pieces. Dump things on top of his head. Take pot shots and try and shoot. Just put it on target. It because he will spill it and if there's someone there to finish up and we didn't test him enough and a lot of time and I saw I think someone in our Terrace podcast WhatsApp group chat shared a picture of Austin McPhee and Austin McPhee you have a lot to answer for for your outswinging um, corner kicks that, that no one took advantage of and that's why I think people were, were saying oh why were we doing that but <laughs> the Denmark came it led to the goal it worked like and that so you can understand that these, but that's Kasper, but there's a big difference between Kasper Schmeichel, you know, who's a top end goalkeeper, yeah. and Gregor uh, Bushan, but, who is is not. Yeah, but that's the thing, like, so that that's where it comes to. I think what what we maybe have an issue with is this is a coach that the players have bought into big time. They, they I think they have a lot of respect for Clark. They understand what he's trying to do. And because of that, like when he tells them to do something, it almost feels like a bit military, like they just do what they're told. And therefore that sometimes can just drain a bit of the individuality out of the team. And and what happens is when there's a situation where a player, you know, and, and that's where you'd want Robertson to do it or McGinn or one of the big characters who's taken these set pieces or is involved in these set pieces to say, do you know what, right, we might have worked on all this shit, but actually let's just fling them in. And and we we didn't do that, and and that was a wee bit. It kind of it's, it's been a criticism of Clark that I would have had when he was Kelly manager as well. And these are criticisms coming from like criticisms of a very very good manager. If you have you, it doesn't matter how good something is, you can always pick a fault with it. The six months or the four months that we had Greg Stewart, he was that individual player. I don't think Steve Clark told him what to do because he was just a creative fulcrum of the team and you, it was almost like Greg you go and do what you want with the ball that was the best that we played under Clark we were, we were basically top of the league at that point the remaining part of that season when he went out of the team it was all like robotic automatic it was all a lot of grinding we won a lot of games 1-0 and we did what we were setting out to do right we, 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 were, we were getting the results but that grind was because we suddenly didn't have creativity it was just a bunch of guys who were very strictly regimented and doing what they were told and there was a wee element of that last night where it was like, you need someone who takes a risk, takes a chance and steps out on their own. And they didn't do that because they were they were so focused on following the set pieces that they've been told to do. Mm-hmm. I think, Craig, this is a stage where we can actually finally talk about the game itself, almost 50 minutes into this podcast. So the, the match started, we, we, we spoke about it earlier, how the, the match sort of, 
felt strange. Being in the ground, it felt strange. It felt a bit flat compared to some of the previous Scotland internationals. But very quickly, Ukraine took control of the game. And very early doors, we were indebted to Craig Gordon for pulling off a fantastic save. Forgive me, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head the player that had the shot, but the ball broke to him. It's actually a very uh, very well-worked move from, from Ukraine with the ball coming down the right. I think it was flicked in, to, in, in, uh, flicked in and laid off. And I think it might have been maybe Cooper who was a bit slow in the uptake and, and finds man Craig Gordon had to tip over the crossbar but the, the, the warrants were there very early on that they they meant business and I think you could see that actually coming out onto the pitch with the Ukraine flags obviously very very emotional day for them going into the huddle prior to that but if, if they were looking leggy or, or anything or there's any doubts about whether or not they might not might their minds might be elsewhere those are very very quickly dispelled yeah, but I think I think we must have expected that. I wouldn't. I wasn't too worried when the first ten minutes they came out and were flying like that because I thought that's the way it's going to start. Either we're going to just get the ball and do that to them, or they're going to do that to us because that's how it was. But it was the fact that we never recovered from that. We never like started to you know impose ourselves on the game, and and it just grew on and on and on. I think, but yeah, the the warning signs were very much there. It was nervy. It was every Scotland. You know, when you think that's just an early start, you know, the players are not getting, you know, they're getting on the ball, the passes are going a wee yard ahead from where they want to be or, or someone's miscontrolling it. And you think that's just early nerves, but but we never grew out of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, 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 the goal came in the 33rd minute. Malinowski, actually, it, I thought it was offside at the time. It, it wasn't, it was, I think it was... It was who it was a Hanley, Hanley was... side, but there's Malinowski coming almost to like the quarterback role, dropping very deep, almost onto the same line as the centre backs, and it's just a simple ball over the top. I've got to say, you've got to credit Yarmolenko because his touch effectively stops the ball, like kills the ball, and allows it to bounce up and gives him the the ability to lift it over Gordon. Phenomenal goal. I think I think it's I, I actually think it's a very, very underrated goal because the touch and the finish were excellent. But just the, the execution, brilliant ball over Malinovsky, brilliant finish from Yarmolenko. But I do think that it's a very avoidable goal. It's sort of both from the assist and, and both from the finish. Yeah. So yeah, first of all, as I talked about Robertson steps up and Hanley doesn't. And that leaves Hanley playing the guy on side. So either either Hanley steps up as well, in which case he's offside, or Robertson doesn't step up and he's probably got a chance of you know putting the pressure on him. Neither of these things happen. Too often they when they got through, so we were pressing the front three as it was, like Dykes and Adams plus McGinn were pressing really high on them to try and stop the goalkeeper getting the ball out, you know, the goal kicks, and when he had it in possession from hands. They wanted to play short and we were really stopping them. But once they played through that three, we talked about the bravery or the fitness or whatever it was of the guys behind. It didn't happen. So then someone like Malinowski gets all that space to play the pass, which shouldn't be allowed because he's a very good player. Yes. Um, anyone who plays for that Atalanta team, they're, they're, <laughs> it was like when you're watching the Euros, everyone played for Atalanta or, or be Leipzig. <laughs> um, and, and he was, yeah. And um, he's a very good player. And and it was a good pass as well, like a a, a a well-weighted pass, but yes. there's that end you shouldn't be pressing. There's the fact that um, yeah, the, the defensive line was all over the shop and then Gordon probably shouldn't come out, but he is way, way down the list of people to blame because you have to try and do something. Mm-hmm. I think he's well on top of that, that 
him coming out there, he's probably, I imagine I'm, I'm putting myself in Craig Gordon's shoes. He's probably coming out thinking, Yarmolenko, his touch is going to knock the ball forward. Yeah. And then he's going to try and finish. So you come out to him and try and get the jump, narrow the angle, maybe even smother the ball. But Yarmolenko's touch was so good to kill it. Like I say, kill the ball and give it a wee bounce that you can lift it over the goalkeeper. Just a phenomenal execution. And prior to that, the warning signs had been there about Scotland playing offside because Yarmolenko forced Gordon into a really, really good save. The ball sort of hit him on the, the Oxter, almost crept in, but Gordon did re- recover very well to, to, to jump on top of it. But, I mean, we just looked, the defence looked ragged and they looked, I mean, the constituent parts weren't working across that back five. But then again, they weren't offered any protection by the, the midfield. And the number of times as well that, that Ukraine were doing like just one, t- one touch, touch and go, like one, like give the ball, move and run. The number of times they were getting in behind us just by sheer like they looked like a, a very well coached team as as well. There's a really good understanding of the players, but that was something I found quite quite alarming. Just how just how off it we looked. Yeah, yeah. It was it was every, it was everyone as well. It's the problem. Like just, there was just no the shape was all over the place. The players weren't. You, you talked about coaching. They had a lot of time together. Like they're they're non. Um, they're non kind of European. Like the domestic players have been training together for months, right? So they. they the understanding is perhaps to be expected, but Yarmolenko wasn't involved in that, and Malinovsky wasn't involved in that, and, and Yaremchuk, the striker, wasn't involved in that. They're playing for their clubs in, in Europe, and yet, yeah, the, the understanding was just was just there in a way it wasn't for us, and yeah, it was just it was ragged. The right word to use, Craig. It was, and it was just dis- dispiriting to watch. Mm-hmm. At halftime, the change was made. Lyndon Dykes was substituted in place of Ryan Christie. And I think that Dykes, as you mentioned there, Dykes are perhaps a better player to bring on. But given the fact he'd, uh, he picked up a yellow card for, for jumping up with his arm, it was perhaps a sensible decision. What did you make of the, that change there? That right call? Yeah, it was. It needed to be made. And Dykes actually had a better first half than Adams did. But I think Adams was the player you want to keep on because you think he's going to, he's going to, Trouble them, you know, about pace. Top of that, it's like you're, you're expecting like Shea Adams, who we know how good he is, to chase flick-ons. Yeah, that was. And it's, it's a, a real, a real waste of someone like that's ability. Yeah, and and that's what I thought. Well, if you get Christie on, and, and maybe he's going to kind of be able to feed balls through and stuff. Uh, Christie, Christie, I'm a huge fan of. I think he was okay when he came on. I thought I would expect a wee bit more from him, but again, it was it was going to shit round about him. Um, I I said I thought I th- I thought that was a change that needed to be made, and, and I did expect the fullback change, which didn't happen. Um, we had already. I mean, we'd already even before the goal, we'd already gone like McGinn had dropped deeper. We'd gone to like a flat three in the middle to try and get a grip on that game. So there had been smaller changes within it. Because I saw people say, "Oh, why didn't he try and change it earlier?" And we we absolutely did. McGregor went to the right hand side to try and help McTominay and Hickey, and because Gilmore was not running enough, and McGinn dropped deeper, so it was like made a proper three. It just, it just didn't work, but it was a change. And then he made the change at half time. And then sadly, we'd, we'd barely, the game had barely gone before. Four, four minutes into the game, and Yarmachik gets the goal. And watching this, I could, I don't know about you, I could see it happening in slow motion. Ukraine are, are playing a lot of purpose, going down the right hand side. The ball's worked to the byline. Scotland do well to snuff out, but then it's worked back to Karavayev. And you're screaming, fucking someone get out to him to close him down. And I think you can see Andy Robertson is going to, I think it's Yarmolenko. Andy Robertson is going to meet Yarmolenko. 
Yarmolenko watches the ball back and he's fuck, there's no one there, there's yeah. no one else there covering that- Robertson goes over to come back, but by that point, it's a really good ball in by Karavayev. And as we mentioned earlier, there's McTominay and Hickey, ball dumped on top of the head, and there's Yarmachuk just a really good That's Gordon. Um, but yeah, no, you're right, because Robertson goes to shut down shut down the first ball, and he's he's actually defended that quite well because I think he gets yeah. a kind of block on and then and then shuttles him away from goal. But that's where again, if Kieran Tierney was their left hand centre back, because he's a natural left back, he would have sensed that danger in the wide area much better than Cooper did, because Cooper is a man who's meant to be doing that, or you, I mean, you could say McGregor, but it's really Cooper in that system doesn't get anywhere near him because Cooper, you don't want to see him in the wide areas. It's not he's, he's not used to playing the wide areas, and yet it gives him so much space to pick a pass. And, and yeah, you can blame or you can talk about McTominay and Hickey having a mix up with that, but the, the guy's always going to, you know, it doesn't matter even if they're on it, he's bigger than them and he's attacking the ball, he's probably going to get there anyway. It's about stopping the cross. Which, which we didn't do. And, and yeah, again, it comes down to not having the right player in that position. Mm-hmm. The match sort of, and at this point, you we, we still didn't immediately come back into it. It was only till about, it was only really till about the, the 35 minute mark at that point. That's when the ball was played back. But sorry, beg your pardon. That was about, um, Aye, first you've got McGregor that we mentioned there closing down um, the the goalkeeper, and then you you've got uh, John. Not long after that, you've got John McGinn's uh, header that goes past the past the post. At that point, you're thinking you're going into the ascendancy a wee bit. As we mentioned, though, Ukraine did well to to sort of suck it out of it. However. Then we see Cal McGregor uh, scoring a goal. Thank you. Thanks again to Bushan uh, making an absolute arse of things. Yeah, it was weird because I, I first of all, I, I was kind of almost directly behind that. And first of all, I thought it was Robertson. I didn't realise it was McGregor until after the game. Um, but then it looked to me like it was nowhere near and I assume it was. But then it was. It, yeah, it was. The, the linesman flagged for it. And then I thought, that's weird because why is the linesman flagging? Because surely the goal line technology is there. But... Um, but nonetheless, they obviously check. So I was like, every single goal, we did like a fucking two-minute VAR check. And I, they did one on the, the Ukrainian second goal. I'm like, there is nothing conceivably that could be wrong with that goal. I was like, what are they checking? I was like, maybe did he push something? Did somebody push something in the middle or something? I was like getting my hopes up. But anyway, um, yeah, that, that goal. And, and and obviously the atmosphere went up again. And at that point, I did, I did think we were yeah, probably same. going to get back in because... The game had just gone chaotic, and actually, as much as Steve Clark's team has all been about, um, you know, um, composure and taking control of games and a bit more possession and all of that stuff, Scotland can thrive in that chaos football. It's what a domestic game's like, and we were starting to get the wee breaks of the balls, and the, the you know they were falling to forward players in the edge of the box, and there were shots being blocked or players not not making the contact when they, they could have done. And, and you start thinking, you know, one of these is going to come off as it had done in a lot of previous games for Scotland. And on top of that as well, though, I mean, although there was a chaos factor, any time the ball broke to one of the Ukrainian midfielders, they looked like they were going to score because not long after Scotland came back into it, there was um, Zubkov, the number 14, sorry, a Jason Cummings type in the middle of the park came on. I actually thought he did okay. He kind of ran the ball out of play a couple of times, but the ball he put in for Big Dovbeck 
who was clean through on goal, touch perhaps a wee bit heavy, just about to shoot. But there's Cal McGregor coming yeah, back just to poke the ball off his toes. Absolutely sensational moment. But at that point, you're thinking, my goodness, if we we really need to just keep Ukraine in their yeah. half because we are just we're just all over the place at the back, and and it really anything can happen. Yeah, and and, and but yeah, as I, I, it comes back to what we said earlier, what what was missing then is well, you've got some attacking players on the bench who are a bit more comfortable in the attacking third. So rather than the ball being at Grant Hanley's feet on the edge of the box and I'm trying to have to spread passes out wide and stuff, you know, like back back to goal kind of centre forward play. Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah, that was I think that was a mistake as well. It was understandable because Hanley's a big a big boy and, and if you across into the box, there's probably not anyone else you'd rather attack it. But that's not the only job a centre forward does. And so you were found a bit one. Even take like Hickey off and put Hanley back there just so he can still attack balls at set pieces, whatever it had to be. But um, yeah, it just it fizzled out, I would say, after that wee initial burst. Because in the last five minutes, I didn't really ever think we were going to score. No, the further it went on, after, after if we didn't score within five minutes of McGregor's goal, I was the same. I didn't think we were going to score either. And then... As we mentioned there, Dovbik made amends for that miss because Zinchenko sent him clear. Robertson was playing him on, but as you said earlier, at that stage in the game, it's you're, you're throwing everything forward, and it's it's what's the expression? Uh, I it's just it's, it's a, a moonshot. That's that's what you're doing. Yeah. Everything you're putting all the legs in one basket. And if it doesn't come off, that's the price you're risking. It's actually a very good finish by Dovbik. Kind of it gave Gordon the eyes and a really cool finish uh, past him at the near post. Yeah, and I, I'd initially thought it was offside. I was actually thinking, do you know what? VAR was going to disallow this, and we were going to get like a free kick, like almost on the halfway line to like send into the box, and then the full time whistle, and I'll fuck that then. Um, but yeah, the um, yeah, it, it, it was about the deserved scoreline that, that reflected, if not worse than that, like the 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 balance of the game, and and yeah, that that was it was disappointing. Um, but it was it was a really nice finish. It's a shame this. Because the two of the best games I've ever been to were the Israel game and the Denmark game. And this, this has kind of tainted them a little bit for me. I, I, I'm, I'm trying, what I, I know what I mean. I'm going to try and articulate myself because it felt as though you were seeing a team that the Israel game was just amazing fun. It was all over the place and chaotic. But the Denmark game gave you a glimpse as to how good Scotland can be. You're going toe-to-toe against one of the best sides in Europe. You're dominating them and you score an amazing goal to cap off a, a really good performance through Adams. And this, it feels like that's for nothing now because it's all that, those are two brilliant performances that are supposed to lead up to a great game, uh, winning against Ukraine and then beating Wales to take you to guitar. And it kind of feels like it's like those were... Those are good games. It's like Lee Griffiths' free kicks yeah. against England, which were amazing moments, but ultimately they they, they didn't count f- for anything, you know? I mean, they make Fadden against France in that, that campaign, which is Aye. the one that... It's the same thing, right? Because you're always going to be like, hey, it didn't happen at the end. And that's the problem, right? We are talking... We are being critical of the players. We're being critical of the manager here. And deservedly so, because they deserve criticism for last night. But we're criticising them for their performance in a playoff where... Years and years past, we've not been in playoffs, so it's, it kind of feels a bit like it, it. It taints that performance, but at the same time, you're saying, "I well, you were weren't good enough to win the playoff." Or before it was like you weren't good enough to get to the playoffs. So there is a progress there, but the problem is, 
everything in international football, any football is is fleeting, right? It, it doesn't have to go the way you think it is. It's easy to say, oh, well, we'll get to the next one, but you don't know. There could be injuries. People could, you know, things could change. The manager could go somewhere else. The SFA could appoint some dumpling or you could just get a really hard draw. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, another tournament goes by. And so it's very easy to think, oh, do you know what? We're on an upward trend now we'll probably get to the next one and, you know, and, and not, but that's not how it works. And this was our best chance in a long time to get to a World Cup. If you told us, right, well, what you're going to have to do is beat Ukraine at home. That's not a disrespect to Ukraine, but you're not having a more favourable draw. As, as compared yeah. to some other teams you could get, it's a more favourable draw. And then you've got to go down to Wales and, and, and fair enough, that would have been hard. But if you'd offered, offered any Scotland team that to qualify for a tournament, you said, you know what, yeah, we'll take that. So to have that opportunity, and then you look at the, the the group at the World Cup because it's been drawn and everything was somewhat favourable, I would mm-hmm. say. like Definitely a group you'd have a bit of confidence that you might be able to get out of. To look at that and then go, nah, it's not for you. And then you're like, right, well, the next Euros are in Germany and there are 24 teams and stuff. We should have, I'll say that, we should have the players we have should be too good not to qualify for that. I do think that's the case. But it's very easy to suddenly slip out of you know, the, 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 like you talk about that, the positivity, the, the hubris that came around the Denmark game, right? In terms of the individual performance that game deservedly, so that's one of the best performances I've ever seen Scotland put in. But at the same time, and at the same time, it was a campaign, 23 points Scotland took from that game, once the last six qualifiers in a row. But for that game in Denmark, had that had somehow we flipped a win in Denmark, we'd actually won that group. Like that's how, you know, I mean, we got well beaten in Denmark, but you know what I mean? It was it was a margin of not, oh, we've narrowly missed out in the playoffs. It was, we weren't a million miles off winning a group and we finished seven points ahead in the playoff places. So that's that's massive. That's one of the best performances you have. But from that, like, act, when you drill down, only, I would say only after the Israel game, did anyone start to feel remotely positive about the campaign? Up until that point, and at half time in the Israel game, there was a lot of grumbles because if you think about the qualifying campaign, it started in March, draw at home to Austria, wasn't a good performance. We got the point. We went out to Israel, we drew again, and then we um, scraped a win at home. What, what was that game? Pharaohs. We beat, did we beat the we beat the Pharaohs at home? Yeah, beat, right? beat, beat them away 1 0. I, 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 I was thinking it was in March. We beat them 4 0 at home. And, and did John McGinn score a hat trick or he scored twice? I or think something? I'm sure as well the 4 0 game actually flattered us a wee yeah. bit. We I mean, the Faroe Islands aren't, they're not the joke side they once were. I mean, we, we 4 0 flattered us and it took a, a lot of doing to, to get the win against them um, when Lyndon Dyke scored later. Yeah. But at that point, people were, were you know, were, were a bit unsure of how things were going and then the Euros we didn't do that well and then the first game back after that's the Moldova game at home where we were hopeless we won one now we're hopeless but then it was like we went out to Austria and we did get the win and then we beat Israel and the Israel one was the one where it all took off and then we did go and we you talked about the Pharaohs game but when you're thinking back to that campaign despite how well we did in terms of points I would only point at um, Austria away at the second half at home to Israel, probably Moldova away, but they're really shit, so I don't think that counts. And then the Denmark game as games where you are really good. And so then you're like, for all the 
and and I think I said this at the time, and 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 it's not to be critical because what we achieved is really good, but for all the build up of that, it boils down to one good performance that swung people's views on the team. And I think we do have to watch with that that you don't, you know, what what we've done is built huge expectations for a team that I don't think are good enough to have those expectations around them. I think I I still honestly, Craig, I still expected that I did think we were definitely going to win last night, regardless of that. Even though I don't think we're as good as some people think we are, I think we're more miles better than we saw last night. That's an interesting point there about the, the Denmark game. When you go back, it's it's like Football is like when you when you're talking about Scotland games. I find like my my, my capacity for, for my brain. I can only really remember like distinct things about Stenhouse Muir. Like over the course of Stenhouse Muir season in Scotland, even though I've been lucky enough to go to these games, I don't really. I can remember like various bits and pieces, but I can't remember like 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 full games. I sort of remember moments from these games, and. And the moments that we're talking about, I mean, I'm not thinking about like conceding right after the restart against Israel, like having to, having to, the a 94th minute, the ball scooping up off Scott McTominay's uh, uh, groin to, to go into the game. You're just thinking about the the, the, the noise and the sound. But I think you're right when you, when you break it down over the course of the campaign. Good spells here and there. One top tier performance against Denmark, but yeah. It, it's just it's so easy to get carried away. I don't think it's hubris, Craig. I just think it's it's a nation who haven't been World Cup in in so long. Twenty four years that that'll be. Haven't been the World Cup in so long, and like I'm chatting match with girls on Tinder who weren't born when uh, when Scotland were at the last at World Cup. Fuck's sake! But it's, it's I suppose it's it's that idea of just. And and you, you allow yourself to get carried away. That is, I don't think like sincerely like on your day, uh, packed Hamden, you're you're a match for anyone. But you're not going to be in those circumstances like like all the time. Aye, and I, I and, probably and I, I mean, give it myself. We always talk about this. It goes two ways. Either we get we got the results, we started to put in the good performances, and the next year qualifying campaign we just go and blast everyone away. You know, we've got we've got we've gained the experience from that. We've learned the lessons. And we go and win the group, right? And we and we just batter everyone and we qualify no bother and it sets us up. But the other thing is we continue to play at the same level, but the wee bits, you know, the, the last minute winners, the penalties that we got don't happen. And then you just end up finishing third in a group. Then you get another playoff potentially. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. And then it suddenly becomes, you know, for this crop of, this crop of players should be qualifying for the Euros. There's, there's absolutely no doubt in my head about that. But it, it's so it's so precarious, and everything you build is precarious in international football because it changes so quickly. Um, so that's the one thing I would I would put as a cautionary note. I think I think the manager is too too good for that to happen personally. Like, and, um, I would say that because I'm you know one of the biggest disciples in that respect, having what what he did at, at club level as well, and having seen seen how he operates. But I think it's a, it's a wee wake up call, and hopefully, what it does is. I don't think there's any lack of effort from the players, but I think it can be easy for them to start to, you know, buy into that themselves and think, you know, they just need to turn up and win. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll be a wee reminder to a few of them that, you know, 
you're good, but you're not that good. Well, we've got a Nations League game against Armenia on Wednesday. How do you think the players will react from this? I mean, I like I, I, I work for the Scottish FA on, on matches. I, I host events at the Scotland Business Club and it's it's an amazing opportunity. And that was actually the first time every prior Scotland match I'd worked at, we'd won them all. And the last games against Israel and Denmark had almost been like religious experiences rather than just a, like host, like folks standing around having a drink and doing a Q&A with former Scotland players. They felt it was incredible that the mood after the Israel game, the Denmark games, it was red hot, man. Absolutely red hot. But as I was leaving last night, I, I was going, going through Hamden and uh, bumped into Lyndon Dykes. Like, like, believe it or not, he was just sitting on the steps sending a text message or on his phone or whatever. And I was caught, looked at him. Obviously, I know who he is. He looked at me, but as if, like, I know who that is as, as well. And so I went up to him and just, like, because he'd been, I'd done an appearance on a view for the terrace. And I think there was a section that, that he'd filmed that, that unfortunately wasn't able to, to, to make it into it for, for whatever reason. I, th- I thanked him. I said, "Listen, I introduced myself," uh, and he said, oh, "I know who you are." I was like, "Last, last <laughs> and and said and uh, and and said, said thanked him for for the stuff he'd done for the show and just like, I mean, we know he wasn't wasn't great in that game. I don't even tell him that. I just said, said like, "Unlucky tonight," and it was just like, oh, "It was shite." And I said, "Just pick yourself up and go again for the 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 game on." on Wednesday because it's an important game but I suppose that's it and, and, and football isn't it you hear that expression is like you don't allow yourself to get too downhearted uh, for the low points but don't get allow yourself to get too carried away when, when the going's good I mean like obviously Dykes didn't play well in that hooked at half time and the team didn't qualify so there's a, a, a triple whammy for, for London personally but that personality and that up and at them, he's had plenty of setbacks in his career. Oh, yeah. You would like to think that he he can uh, kick on and, and put in a big performance against Armenia next week. Yeah, so I'm going to the game, but I think like I think it'll be flat. Like I think it'll be pretty flat. Yeah. But I think the the fixture is probably kind to us because Armenia at home is, is a game you would still expect Doable. to win. And, um, and then you've got the two away games. So so the hope is that you know you and 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 I think I think knowing this squad, to be honest, it'll be a positive reaction. I don't I don't expect them to kind of dwell on it. I think they'll they'll I I do expect us to go and win. I think he'll, he'll need to make a, a few changes and, and he will do it just for fitness reasons, apart from anything. But um they've had they've got a wee bit of time to get over last night and then you know to look at that game. I think they, they need to be looking to take at least seven points for these three games, potentially nine, but that's probably been greedy. Mm-hmm. But I just think for, for the players as well, like for for Rob, if I'm thinking Andy Robertson, who we mentioned earlier, just that how do you just keep on going? Like, I mean, the, the, I need a holiday after experiencing like a week full of setbacks. I would just want like time away. I mean, I'm sure he said to put off his wedding three times. Because just these of the of the things he's been involved in over over the summer, and you just think you would want like a month off and just go and sit in the sun and spend time with your family and see your pals and and just like have a wee break from football. Yeah, I wouldn't expect him to play all three games. I think I think Greg Taylor will play one of the games, or or Hickey might play yeah. left wing back. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's going to be a wee bit easier for him. Um, likewise, you you'll see O'Donnell play definitely. You you'll probably see Stuart given a chance you'll see Brown mm-hmm. maybe given a chance at some point you know off the bench and stuff but these guys that's why he's called up a big squad and obviously he was hoping to have five games we've still got four um, of which we've had one um, I, I think I think there's enough about the squad I think there's enough um, there that they won't they won't let it affect them I, th- I think I think we'll 
I still think we're going to win that Nations League group and I think we'll probably make a good start with, with these three games and that will set us up with, we'll have two against Ukraine in September, um, which will be, um, depending on what happens with them, I think, I mean, not not just them as a football team, them as a nation, but um, if, they get, if they're in the World Cup, they might be more up for it than if they're not. Mm-hmm. See, see if they get knocked out and then it's like, oh, we've got to go and play these fucking Nations League games for in the middle of a war and our league's still not playing and all that type yeah. of stuff. Um, I can imagine it being a um, an interesting one, but I, I do think we'll win the group, to be honest, Craig. Um, maybe that's, maybe that, talking about hubris, um, maybe that is hubris because Ukraine looked a good team. Yeah. But um, I, I just think we'll, we'll, we'll do what we need to do. Well, let's hope that's the case. Let's hope that's the case. And let's see for a positive performance against Armenia. Craig, I think we've been talking, I'm not sure, I think it's about, about an hour and 20 minutes yeah, or so. it's a long on time. Scotland. Fair play, fair play. Listen, never let it be said that you get shortchanged by the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. Only the best for you. And I'd like to thank everyone who has tuned in to this episode. Your support means a lot to us. And even better if you have spent money on the Patreon. There are podcasts that go up every single day on that. So there is something there for everyone. So please keep on tuning in. Please keep on subscribing. And if pop culture is your thing, listen to Review from the Terrace. They do things like Still Game podcasts and other things. So there's something in there for everyone. But nevertheless, Craig, I'm going to go to the shops. I quite fancy a wee bit of chocolate. So I will leave you to it. But thank you so much for your company. Always, always, always great fun to talk to you about football. But even better to talk to you about Scotland. I think I, I, I've said it to, to you personally, I'll say it to you publicly. One of the best podcast performances ever was, I think it might have been after the Russia game, uh, the performance there when Scotland were at Alweb, uh, just understanding how and why we were in that position. Uh, so hopefully this enters the same sort of echelons as, as that and we, we can... Well, I hope, I, I, hope I never have another good performance again if it's only when we fucking lose games. Um, I, I, I would have preferred it. I would have preferred it being to, to have been my epic performance after the after the World Cup final. Um, but listen, Craig, it could be worse. It could be like Duncan Mackay who said, "There's no point in the Scotland national team." Remember, never forget, <laughs> never forgive, never forget. All right, well, it's good, good to speak to you too, Craig. You know, I'll, I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Take care and enjoy your football. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.